We are back. As promised at the top of the show, we're now going to delve into an arena we don't often do on this program, but one which I think we should, that of poetry. And joining us, of course, is our oldest friend here at KDVS, Dr. Andy Jones. Welcome back, Dr. Andy. Doug, thank you so much for having me on this radio show on the coveted Thursday afternoon at 5 <laughs> o'clock time slot. Of all of the radio shows in the known universe, this one is certainly the most Palaxian. <laughs> well, to quote Muhammad Ali, whatever Palaxian mean, if it good, I am. <laughs> well, um, we, we have a second guest here whose, whose laughter is, is joining us, uh, Brad Henderson. Dr. Andy, would you please explain uh, who Brad is and, and uh, how you are together collaborating? Absolutely. Brad Henderson, like myself, is a lecturer in the university writing program at the University of California at Davis. And uh, Brad has uh, been a lecturer here for, what, about five years now? Almost exactly. Almost exactly five years. And uh, unlike myself, he actually can write technical prose with authority because of his vast experience as a technical writer and trainer. And he's had a variety of other jobs. There, the, many of them are mentioned on the bio blurb on the back of our new book. What's the title of your book, by the way? What, you... It's Split Stock, speaking of the world of uh, the financial world. And the thinking is, and this was Brad's idea, that you never know when you invest in something, if it splits in two, what you have left over is going to be of much greater worth than the original investment because of the splitting. So we've, uh, we've written a book that's split in two and that uh, contains the poetry of two full-time writing teachers and, uh, and now full-time poets. Well, before we get too far into the poetry thing, All right. you've mentioned the word prose. And so, Brad, I would ask you, how do we, how do we distinguish poetry versus prose? Probably the easiest way to distinguish would be that prose is written in sentences, and the sentences, depending on how they're put on the page, can break and wrap at any place, and it makes no difference at all to the reader. The reader's only interested in where the period is at the end of the sentence. But with a, po with a poem, poems are written in lines, and so when you physically get to the end of a line, um, a unit of meaning stops, and also there's a short physical pause. So it has a lot to do with um, how the information is delivered, how it's chunked, and also typographically how it's put on the page. I'm still a little bit confused about the whole thing with the rhyme and the meter and, and all that, so can we just take a little minute for a little bit of remedial education here for those of us who are perhaps as big an ignoramus as I am on the subject? Sure. <laughs> I, I try to think last about rhyme and meter. I want to think about the emotional content of the poem. What sort of emotional message is presented? What sort of succession of emotions is, is presented with these lines of poetry? And how, after reading them, do I have a clearer understanding of, uh, of the speaker's idea or uh, moment of crisis, moment of... Uh, dis-ease or concern, and, uh, and how can, in Frost's terms, how can the poem be a, a stay against confusion? 
eventually, when I teach classes like Introduction to Poetry, we go over in some detail uh, meter, rhyme, but I try not to make the class too scientific, too analytical, because a poem can be killed, really, under such scrutiny, even very strong poems. And really all bets are off, aren't they? I mean, it just it's measured in the end whether it works or not. Yeah, whether, whether it works. And, and I think uh, the sound of the language has a lot to do with that, much more so than with prose. Poetry should be read out loud. Mm-hmm. And, and preferably, it should be read by one person and listened to uh, by another. And when that happens, there's a moment of connection that when the poet is paying attention to rhyme and meter, not always in a purposeful way, but in a way that comes naturally after spending lots and lots of time listening to poems, reading poems out loud, writing poems, that there is a connection that occurs that transcends the mere meaning of the words and communicates some sort of emotional state or discovery or wisdom that can be really fulfilling and sustaining to both uh, the listener and to the reader. I think there's a great deal of magic there that can be lost when we focus too much on the, the details of uh, the line lengths, the rhyme, the meter. Brad, let me put you on the spot. Okay. There's good poetry <laughs> and there's bad poetry. How do we tell the difference? How, how do you tell, in your mind, what a good poem is? Well, gosh, I was still thinking about the rhyme and meter. (laughs) (laughs) We can backtrack into that for a second before we go forward into that. Okay, well, yeah, let me just offer a few comments on that before we move on to the next one. You know, I I, I do think that that needs to be addressed because when when typically in a a class, when, when a professor slices and dices a poem, you end up talking about meter and rhyme. But, you know, the simplest way to think about it is that all words, when you look them up in the dictionary, um, are, can be divided into syllables, and some of them are accented, some of them aren't. And uh, how words and words paired together uh, play their accents um, gives poem its beat, its meter. And, in you know, in traditional po- poetry, the, the lines were set up so that the beat was very consistent. Da 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 da. In modern poems, we we enjoy erratic rhythms, and and really, it's as simple as that. It's just breaking breaking lines into the beats, the accents, the we, the syllables that that aren't accented. And in modern poetry, we we typically don't line things up so that the beat is even. And as far as rhyme goes, you know, I, I think everybody enjoys um, when when identical sounds are repeated or similar sounds echo one another it's pleasing to the ear you know that's one of the reasons we like to listen to the lyrics of songs Um, because at the end of each line in a song oftentimes there is a rhyming word I was going to ask about that. It seems like that music and poetry are sort of intermingled. Well yeah I mean right now I've been listening to a bunch of old uh, stone stuff, and and one and I've been listening to the song Monkey Man a lot. I'm a flea bit peanut monkey. All my friends are junkies. So I mean, that's the connective tissue. It's that end rhyme, just like in poetry. But it, as far as you know, what what a good poem is. A good poem. We've been actually talking about this a lot amongst ourselves and some of our other colleagues, and and we've pretty much decided that. <laughs> 
a good poem uh, embodies content that says something significant about and memorable about the human condition. And, and in fact, a really good poem is a poem that, that really knocks us off our feet, that is so disturbing that we think about it for hours, days, maybe weeks, mm -hmm. because poetic language is so potent. Just like, um, you know, if you've ever been haunted by the lyrics of a song, a good yeah. poem haunts you. And it, it, it's, it's the opposite of a, a trivial little ditty. And, and usually, unfortunately, probably 90% of all poetry that's written is just rubbish. Is it easier to agree, perhaps, on what's bad poetry? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that a lot of people are reluctant to, you know, make the call past judgment. And, and I think, you know, any most mainstream people on the street can step up to the plate. They can listen to a poem. If they like it, it's good. If they don't, it's not, despite what the academics say. All right, but here's the big question. Is Rod McEwen any good? No. <laughs> <laughs> Let me jump in here. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Rod, Rod McEwen is not any good. Any, any poet who depends upon unearned emotion, who depends upon cliché, who depends upon saccharine sweet rhymes on descriptions that might merit inclusion in a 10-year-old's diary. These are the sort of elements of a poem that, uh, that must be avoided. And, uh, and therefore, his poetry isn't very good, in part because it doesn't surprise the veteran reader, the thinking reader, mm -hmm. the emotionally sophisticated reader. It, it's almost the exact opposite of what Brad was saying about a haunted poem. This is a, a poem that's like uh, cotton candy. Mm -hmm. It may be sweet at first taste, but it's, it's quickly forgotten, and then afterwards you feel a little ill. We hear the term poetry slam. What is that exactly? A poetry slam, this is a phenomenon that started in Chicago about oh, 10, 12 years ago. And it involves a, a competition where poets get up on stage and they speak for two minutes or less without using any sort of props and, uh, and presenting original work. And, uh, and they're often judges. Sometimes the judges originally in, in the Chicago tradition are chosen from people in the audience. And the poets compete. And so uh, what happens is it makes poetry much more uh, emotionally available, much more democratic, much more energetic than that found or celebrated in the academy. Those are some of its strengths. Some of its weaknesses uh, would include the fact that uh, idiosyncrasy or willingness to share uh, intimate details, shocking details, would uh, trump uh, because of the audience awareness and, and appealing to the audience, would trump uh, a more thoughtful or interesting combination of, of words, ideas, or assertions. I think we should read from the books which I see you have brought to the studio today. 
recently published on John Natsoulis Press is a, uh, a book subtitled Selected Poems by Brad Henderson and Andy Jones. It's called Split Stock, and it's the first in a series of art and poetry books that the John Natsoulis Press is putting out. Tell us about the opening. You're going to actually people be able to come down and, and I guess meet you guys for yeah. this opening on Friday. There will be a uh, book release party this coming Friday, February 10th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the John Natsoulis Gallery, which is at First and E Streets in Davis. This is a, an event that's free and open to the public. Brad and I will be reading our poetry. Uh, one of the reasons that Brad was so eloquent earlier on uh, rhythm and meter is that he is also a musician, a drummer, and so there may be a musical element to the uh, the evening in question and some other surprises. And what time does this start again? This is, starts at 7 o'clock, okay. right. Friday night. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's also Second Friday, which means that people will be visiting art galleries all over town. And we certainly invite folks who will be uh, hitting all the art galleries to time it so that sometime between 7 and 9, you're uh, in the John Itzulis Gallery. You'll be able to hear us read. You'll also be able to meet some of the artists. There are more than 20 paintings represented in split stock by Yolo County artists, including the cover page artwork by Deborah Hammond, uh, a 2005 painting called Fountain. So it'll, it'll be exciting for us to meet many of the uh, artists who are represented in this book. And all of the paintings were chosen by John Itzoulis and his staff. So it's, it's an interesting uh, nexus, uh, from our point of view, of uh, art and poetry, and therefore a book of poetry that's very much unlike anything else that you can buy today. Brad, can you read something? Yeah, I was kind of scrolling through the table of contents. This piece that I'm going to read is called uh, Mansion of When I Sleep. And uh, the genesis of this poem was I, I was living in or Oregon, and, and prior to that, for many, many years, I had a reoccurring dream. And oftentimes I would find, out, find that when I would wake in the morning for a few minutes, I would have full retrospective access to my dream world right. and then it would go away yeah and um and i would forget over and over and over and over again that that would happen so this poem um recollects a, a moment when i had just gotten up and i was thinking back on my dreams and um what that means in a larger sense as far as my day-to-day -day existence as a human in that lost time, when my mind and flesh uncable, and air eats the spirit like smoke from a gun, I forget the hands gripping nude steam, the crimps between buttocks and tr prostrate side, and I vanish like a click into walking fright. Lost in a mansion, I visit, visit each night, Always the dim halls which never end, the cross swords, lardwicks, and pirates' jewels, the dust, the creeks, the balusters, dark neurals. Then appears the panel, the door to a secret room, her relics on a nightstand, silver brooch and cameo, stained from lost beauty in daguerreotype pose, unabashedly fertile, 
yet too modest to show her teeth. Her coy ghost circles, the fever manifests. I coax up skirts to crisp pantaloons, untie and loosen the suitor I race for a grope of lovely lotion thigh, feigned indignation, a throaty moan, no, then through the purple membrane I go, awaking knowing I have courted this spencer years in a row, warm I resettle, yet she's gone, knowing I will rise and be dull at dawn, to the old-fashioned ravings I bind and collect like hooded selves that squirm on a stick. That was Brad Henderson reading his poem, Mansion of When I Sleep, from the collection Split Stock, co-authored with Dr. Andy Jones. So, of course, we should remind you that Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour comes to you every Wednesdays at 5 o'clock on this same station. Thank you for that plug, Doug. (laughs) You're welcome. You have a poem, I think, that you should share with us as well. I do, and I haven't yet decided if I'm going to read this one this coming Friday night at 7 o'clock at the John Itzulis Gallery, February 10th. Probably because I'll still be serving free food and drink at that hour. (laughs) But, uh, But at some point... I thought I would read a poem I wrote called Seattle, 1999. And I'm choosing to read it on your show, Doug, because it addresses uh, some of the issues that you raise on this show from week to week. And that is the responsibility that we have when we see something amiss to share our concerns, our objections as members of the press, if that's what we are, to uh, raise the sort of concerns that many people in the public have but might not have the time to research or contemplate and if that's enough or if we should be out on the front lines with those who are actually fighting for the things that we believe in so this poem is called seattle 1999 which of course was the time of the world trade organization ministerial conference i've met with them in juice bars and in fogged up corner cafes the smell of mocha mixing with that of alcohol and tear gas, the signs stacked in the corner, and the customers in fatigue green and in the iridescent hippie colors reminiscent of that demonstration of the original generation that first introduced us to the tactics used today by turtle lovers, the anti-gat firebrands, the working-class rabble-rousers, the generic leftists in jeans, progressives in khakis and collared shirts, as ubiquitous today as the Gap. I wonder what has changed because of the event. And where were you, they almost ask. This question will long hang above us all, who share the ideals of these teenagers, poli-sci majors, and lifetime liberals, yet who watched from counter or desk, from coffee shops, not Starbucks, or on CNN. For every lone patriot who stands before a Chinese tank, there are a hundred of us who read about the conflict, the victories and losses in the South Evening China Post, or, in our case, on the cover of the nation. Do we refrain because the WTO, while clearly amoral, contributes in its way to our online stock portfolio? Hearts with one purpose alone, 
to fight the injustice that makes the rest of us so uncomfortable with our technological separation from the living stream, from the primal source so distant that we don't see its contamination, report to me the day's excesses. The missiles, the chants, the faceless plastic stormtroopers fearfully firing their rubber bullets, as I listen to the media chess pieces of this last American conflict, of this our best and worst century, the teenage girl with broken glasses, the tall dreadlocked man with a boot-printed cheek and scars from temporary handcuffs, I try to fathom a lasting lesson. Intentions and donations don't erase this fact. We were there and we didn't act. If, as Churchill said, a special place in hell has been arranged for those who remain neutral in times of great conflict, what waits for me? This conflict is ours. Our loyalties are clear. Yet why are we also so conflicted that we choose a virtual role, via website and TV news, rather than a chance to shout and partake? The calendar indicates an end is near, have gathering gold and Y2K party plans distracted us from those global entities that provide so much of what we think we need that we have gladly given them our lives, signed up for the slow social suicide, established a hell that's on sale and nearly free? That was our own Dr. Andy Jones reading his poem, Seattle, 1999. I tell you, that, uh, that poem takes me back to those, the GMO protests that were in Sacramento a couple years back. We all have choices to make, and uh, sometimes those of us with the greatest ideals don't make the choices that, that reflect them. But sometimes we have other responsibilities, as you do, and as you uh, exercise those responsibilities well, and that is to open our eyes to issues like the, the conference, the uh, protests that you just mentioned. And I think that's one of the great responsibilities of KDBS as well. Something that you can uh, hear in all of our public affairs programming <laughs> Monday through Friday. Take the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I think indeed our listeners, uh, well, we know our listeners that do, do want to address these things and, and God bless them. Absolutely. Both of our Poetry authors today will be at the Nasulis Gallery tomorrow, February 10th at 7 p.m. That's at 521 First Street. For more information, you can call 530-756-3938. Gentlemen, thank you both for coming. Thank you, Doug. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you very much. 